Welcome to the FinTech and Digital Banking Podcast by BCG Platinian. Your hosts are Annika Melchert and Nora Hocker. Join them as they talk to hand-picked fintech experts about the future of banking. Hello again, our dear listeners, and welcome to another episode of the FinTech and Digital Banking Podcast by BCG Platinian. As usual, we have invited an exciting fintech for you. And today is the Berlin-based buy now, pay later fintech, Mondu. You might have read of them in the press because they just recently went through another funding round and collected $43 million, second largest funding round among German fintechs this year. And actually, I find this especially interesting because other larger players like the Swedish buy now, pay later player, Klarna, seems to struggle and they are laying off like 10% of their workforce. So... Yeah, I'm super happy that they are here. And I'm super happy to say that we do not only have one, but two co-founders of Mondo with us today. So welcome, Malte Hofmann and Philipp Povel. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here with you guys. Pleasure. Thank you for inviting us. Hi, Malte. Hi, Philipp. Let's maybe directly start with your business model. Um, as Nora already said, it's basically a buy now, pay later. Um, how would you explain this to, to your parents? First of all, I did have to explain it to my parents multiple times, and I'm not sure if I was so successful. So let's hope I'll do a better job here. I guess the most straightforward way of explaining our model or our buy now, pay later for B2B solution is to compare it to the equivalent in the offline world. When businesses transact with each other, they typically do so with payment terms. That means that the buyer purchases a product or a service and then pays for it later. This usually happens based on an invoice. And by the way, uh, invoices have existed as early as 5000 BC in the form of clay slabs. Now, obviously, today's invoices, they look a little bit different, um, but the concept really has not changed. Now, B2B trade and therefore B2B transactions today happen more and more online, given the huge digitization boom over the past years. And that really calls for digital payment methods that can enable the concept that I've described online as well. And that is what our buy now pay later solution for B2B really does. It enables B2B merchants or B2B marketplaces to offer their buyers to pay with deferred payment options like invoice or SEPA direct debit, and therefore they can drive their business. At the same time, our solution protects the merchants from the default risk and also the operational burden through our full service approach. So what Mondo really does, what our business model really is, is we create business-to-business -business moments through digital and modern payment. As you just mentioned marketplaces, I had to directly think of Payout, another fintech that we had in our previous episode. And they also kind of offer payment services to, to marketplaces. Can you explain what are the key differences between Mondu and, for example, Payout or other players? Well, I think if I had to say what the differences are, I would probably focus around three dimensions. The first one is probably the type of transactions that we enable. Uh, payout focuses on splitting payments across different sellers um, in a marketplace, as well as creating transparency on marketplace commissions. Whereas we create a BNPL solution that ultimately comes in place between marketplaces and buyers and enables deferred payment within the checkout. The second thing is that the end consumers are different. Um, the solution that payout offers has different um, end users as it is more focused on 
developers, um, people that are focused on integration, the finance teams uh, who are able to have a more convenient way of orchestrating this. While on our end, the main customer are the business buyers and also the merchants. Um, and finally, I think it's important to mention that we also have been active in a different e-commerce segment. We are focused only on B2B, whereas Payout um, also serves B2C uh, customers. Talking about B2B and your business clients, are there any big names that we might know already? That's a good question. And I think the funny thing about, um, you know, working in B2B and, you know, you know that, you know, we've been working in, uh, in, in the B2C world for the last 12 years as well. Um, working in a B2B world sometimes means that you really uh, wouldn't know your customers beforehand because as an end consumer, you would never actually interact with them because they're also sometimes very vertical specific. But I think what has been really amazing over the last months has been um, the incoming demand of, you know, potential customers and merchant customers from, you know, the most diverse segments. So we've signed cu merchant customers across industries like uh, the beauty industry, cleaning on the B2B side, manufacturing, um, you know, even marketplaces that, that trade wood, for example, or timber. So uh, that's, been, that's been quite amazing. Uh, to maybe name one customer here that has been with us very early on, uh, Yonto Comet, um, they are a manufacturer in the beauty sector. Um, they supply salons and spas uh, with everything from massage treatment tables to other equipments in, 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 the, cosmetic, uh, in the cosmetic space. Um, another example um, is uh, Tiger Facility Services in the cleaning space, but also, for example, a company like Shirt Racer that enable online customization of shirts for for businesses. So, for example, for the JP Morgan uh, Marathon in Frankfurt. So, um, it's been really really rewarding to see that you know our product seems to be you know very well fit for uh, the, the most diverse uh, verticals in B 2 B. That sounds very much like a, a rainbow of industries you offer. So did you design your product like firsthand in an industry agnostic way or did you ever consider like specializing? So we um, focus more on the use case rather than the vertical. When does our product work really, really well? It's, it's in the cases when you have um, merchants that would like to drive revenue by offering better payment uh, methods. And this is really where we come in. And this is typically the case, especially in the deferred payment space, when the merchants want to grow via new customer acquisition. Because when you want to offer deferred payment methods to a new customer, you need to be really, really strong in risk management and have really strong risk uh, management capabilities in order to be able to score a new customer that you may have never interacted with right on the spot during the checkout moment. And this is typically where, you know, regular, let's say B2B web shops are not as strong at because they obviously are really good at um, choosing the right merchandise, choosing the right vendors for their marketplace and then delivering on um, the, the products to, to, uh, to the customers. Um, but they're not necessarily very strong in the risk management. And, and this is where we come in. So our solution works really well in those use cases where we can improve the payment and enable the, the merchants to offer payment days to their customers and therefore drive conversion and therefore business. And so, you know, the product really works in, in, in a multitude of, uh, of verticals um, rather than, um, you know, being limited to one. You were just talking about use cases. Are there already any use cases to replace traditional banking products like financing or reselling services? Yeah, so that's, that's an interesting question. Um, I think we did not necessarily start this journey coming from a perspective of replacing any product necessarily. I think when we thought about 
what would be the next business model that we would like to tackle, uh, we really thought about two things. Is there a big market opportunity? And is there a possibility to really, you know, make a dent in a certain industry um, and improve things for market participants? And we really found that in the B2B payment space, and we found it even more specifically, you know, thinking about our first product, which is, as you all know, and as we talked about before, the buy now, pay later for B2B solution. And why is that? It's really because buy now, pay later for B2B sits at the intersection of three huge markets that are all in transition. So the first market is the B2B payments market itself. Um, it's a huge market globally, 125 trillion US dollars, This, which by the way, compares to around 52 trillion dollars uh, in consumer payments. So it's much larger actually than consumer payments. And obviously B2B payments work, but to a certain extent uh, behind. Um, the payment mix is very different from B2C. There is a lack of instant payment methods. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the payment methods that are currently out there create a lot of operational work, etc. So th this market is just very prone for disruption. At the same time, you know, there's lots, lots of things happening, um, you know, through new technological infrastructure and also regulatory infrastructure around um, uh, open, open banking. I think there's a lot more receptiveness of businesses today um, when it comes to financial software, etc. So there's a lot of things happening. And probably the, the biggest thing that's happening is really that in B2B payments, uh, there needs to be a lot of innovation now to cater for uh, the new digital environment. Uh, and this brings us to the second market um, that we see, and that's B2B e-commerce. So B2B trade is moving online at a very fast pace. And B2B e-commerce actually is already more than twice the size, if you take, for example, Germany, more than twice the the size of B2C e-commerce. And it has grown very quickly, but this demands also for more digital payment methods now um, and more instant payment methods. And that's why the B2B payments market itself will be in transition because uh, you know, so much more trade will be actually happening online versus offline as it used to. And then the third market um, that we also look at and you know, where Binopulator for B2B is at the intersection with is uh, supply chain finance and more concretely working capital finance. So we still see the fact that, you know, especially smaller companies like SMBs or, uh, and the like, um, they still have less access to financing than obviously bigger companies. And this is really the case because traditional lenders like banks, they just cannot, you know, economically make it work to extend credits in small pieces to, to these, uh, to these SMBs. And that's, True, because you know typically credit decisions are not being made very data in a very data driven way, nor in a very automated way. Um, but at the same time, fintechs have shown that you know the SMB segment is actually quite interesting if you can really you know make it work economically speaking. And so, if you take these three markets and you you take B two B buy now pay later, we can really capture the things that are happening uh, in these markets. So. Obviously, buy now, pay later for B2B is building on some of the infrastructure that's being built in the B2B payments market, but it is per se also an innovative payment method. Um, through buy now, pay later for B2B, since we're integrating in the, the checkouts of, uh, of, of B2B web shops, we're capturing the growth that's coming in B2B e-commerce. And lastly, 
we are extending credit to a certain degree in a very data-driven and automated way directly at the point of sale, um, i.e. In the, in the B2B web shops. So rather than you know, necessarily replacing a certain product, we really thought about the market opportunity and if we could build a product that could really, really improve the lives of, uh, of the market participants. And in that case, first, obviously, the lives of the B2B merchants and B2B marketplaces through better payment. And then um, also, um, obviously, everybody that is transacting online, you know, business buyers uh, that also uh, profit from our solution. And this also brings or comes across with lots of growth potential for you. That's really cool to, to hear. Um, you already mentioned that you, you rather come from a B2C world. Um, I know that you already <laughs> that you successfully founded um, the e-commerce startup um, Dafiti. When you now compare your previous experience um, based on your on your founder's journey, what are the key challenges you're now having in the B2B segment? Um, it's a very good question. And I think we've been asked this quite a few times. And I think, of course, there are a few things different uh, in the current founder journey that we're having. But at the same time, there are many things the same. What does not change um, is the fact that we need to hire the best team, create an awesome culture, as well as put a governance in place that allows us to build a winning value proposition that allows us really to succeed. Um, and the fact that we're doing this now for the third time um, has helped us to build uh, most likely a company faster um, than a first-time founder would be able to do. Um, and this might sound something that is trivial and maybe not really that important, but as a matter, I think it's extremely important because execution is probably very, very key, in particular in the model that is as complex as the model that we're trying to execute. What is different, though, uh, and I think we have to acknowledge this, is that um, we're back in our original geography and we haven't been here for 10 years. The sector we're in is different and the model that we're doing is also different, right? So as well as the end customer. So maybe starting with the geography, just to be clear, this is the second time we built a company in Europe, but nevertheless, it's been some time. And while Europe isn't Latin, I would say that Europe is definitely a very good place to be in. You have a very high density of talent and um, we're able actually to attract talent from all over the world to work with us in Berlin. Um, and in Latin, this is much, much harder. The ecosystem is also much more developed. So you have really great service providers which allow you to kickstart a company much, much faster. Um, and you have legal certainty. Um, this is something that most people in Europe and even in the US don't really think so much about. But we have predictability with regard to the legal decisions uh, and are able to plan much, much better. And this wasn't the case in Latin, just to mention a few things. Uh, Sounds like there is a story behind uh, anything you like funny you, you can share on this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, legal certainty with regards to labor laws, legal certainty with regards to tax laws and, and things like this, they have huge implications on your business. In, in Brazil, uh, when we started, on average, tax laws were changing every three minutes. Um, of course, not all those changes impacted us, but it's uh, it's a tremendous amount of work to be to be compliant, and then also labor laws were extremely hard and difficult um, um, in Latin uh, when we started. They improved over time, but uh, this is something that we are used to, yeah? and so I would say the new geography is actually something that you know we find very refreshing. Um, and then the second thing is, of course, the sector and the model. Uh, which, to be honest, are also only partly new to us, right? So 
Uh, you mentioned yourself, we, we built a, a rather large fashion e-commerce in Latin in five markets that are very different and uh, all face different challenges. Um, and as such, we have been uh, exposed to actually quite a few financial solutions. And we built also embedded finance solutions ourselves for our own e-commerce. So we created our own credit card. We created deferred payment options, installment schemes, reverse factorings for merchants, uh, factoring of our own credit card receivables, including the creation of SPVs and other things. So we know very well the product that we're offering right now. So it's not really that new to us. But I think what is new is, um, of course, risk management. This is something we haven't done at this level of proficiency. So this is something we uh, had to learn. And the second thing is, as you pointed out, this is not B2C, it's a B2B sales cycle. Um, but again, it brings me back to the fact that you have great talent here in Europe. And so we were able to acquire those competencies and capabilities through the great talent acquisition that we have. And now we have it. And I mean, with your product and your offering, you chose, uh, let's say, a sector that focuses even more on on risk and it's quite regulated. So I, I assume that brings with it a lot of additional challenges. And I mean, as part of this podcast, we're not only interested, of course, in, in your offering and the product and the journey, but also in how your company is composed right now um, from a tech and operational point of view. So I've read that you are partnering with Raisin Bank, for example. Um, I mean, we've talked to Raisin on a previous episode as well. Um, Super, super interesting, by the way, if you want to listen in. Um, so how exactly does your partnership with Raisin Bank look like? Yeah, very good question. So Raisin Bank is our cooperation partner. Um, and while we are responsible for designing our BNBL solution, um, including also, of course, owning the interaction with merchants and the business buyers, um, Raisin Bank takes care of all the relevant um, regulatory aspects of the business. Um, the BNPL business we're engaged in is ultimately an ongoing purchase of receivables, which requires, at least in Germany, a BaFin license. And the regulatory aspects basically include AML and KYC requirements um, that need to be considered in order to start working with a merchant. Um, and we have to find how we collaborate with Raisin Bank to ensure that all regulatory aspects are, are fulfilled um, accordingly. So how does it work? Uh, once a merchant has been onboarded, Mondo coordinates all payment flows to our merchants of the receivables that are generated, of course, by the merchants themselves, with Raisin Bank being the intermediate um, in our structure. Are there any other partnerships um, which are worth mentioning in this regard? I would say there are not other partnerships that are as profound as um, the relationship that we have with Raisin Bank. We, of course, use different providers. And I mentioned before that the beauty of being in Europe and also, you know, the beauty of being in fintech is that you can rely on an existing ecosystem and many, many solutions that are able to allow you to do business. And so, of course, we, uh, we access external data sources um, in order to enrich our decision engine. Um, there are quite a few. We, of course, also use different banks um, in order to enable transactions for us. But I would say that the cooperation that we have with Raisin Bank is, of course, much more profound uh, because uh, without them, we wouldn't be able to operate. Was there ever a point in your journey where, where you kind of thought, let's build everything ourselves? So if I go back to my experience in e-commerce, um, and that's an experience that goes back now to 2009, uh, at that time, you didn't have really 
a lot of solutions in place to build your catalog, to build your webshop systems in a way that uh, it was in a sustainable way. And so everything you had to build yourself in order to build you know, a proper and sustainable company. And so I do see a lot of value in partnerships uh, because it allows you to focus on elements that you think will be relevant to succeed in the long term. Um, and that focus is really, really important because there's a lot of competition and growth today is cheaper than growth tomorrow. So the faster you can grow today, um, of course, always taking into consideration unit economics and building a sustainable culture business, all anything you can do to grow faster today is really accretive to your um, success in the future. Yeah? So we never really thought of building this business and trying to do everything ourselves. Uh, I don't think it makes actually sense because when you do this, you waste a lot of time and you potentially build stuff that you at some point will have to replace with external solutions anyway. Um, and it's an iterative process. It's something that you learn on the way. And for us, it was always clear that we needed to partner um, with other companies in order to be successful um, um, rather fast. And what exactly does this imply for your technology platform? So what tech stack is Monlu currently built upon? I think the partnership itself really hasn't impacted the design choices so much in terms of the tech stack. Mm -hmm. What guides us more is our vision to become a platform business, um, which we've done before in LATAM, and which we believe is a superior model. And BNPL for us is, of course, a very, very relevant um, product, but we also consider this to some extent a starting point. And that requires for us to become a platform, to be agile, um, to have a scalable system and reliable tech stack. Um, and our current architecture reflects exactly that kind of platform mentality. Um, as we've done this before, you know, I think the, the big advantage we have is that we don't have to go to, through too much trial and error during that learning journey. It doesn't mean that we don't do any mistakes, of course. Um, then otherwise we'd be doing another mistake. But um, I think uh, this has really enabled us to much, much very, very fast and ultimately create a regulated fintech product in record time. Maybe one rather personal question. Um, how techy are you then as the, the CEOs? I would say that when I started in this, I wasn't probably very techy 12 years back, um, actually 13 years back. But you eventually become techy in a sense that you understand how architectures need to be look like, how uh, teams need to be organized, uh, so basically what the governance needs to be, and you ultimately learn on the go, right? And I think it's important to remember that uh, when we left, we transitioned from Dafici, from, uh, from being CEOs there uh, to just being shareholders uh, and board members. Uh, we left the company with about three and a half to 4,000 employees of which more than 300 people were within tech and they reported into us. So we do have experience leading tech teams for quite some time, for over 10 years in quite large tech teams. So it, it came naturally, but I wouldn't go as far to say that um, I'm really great at it. I think I, have, I do have a good understanding of how good looks like, um, which is why we partnered with our co-founder Gil last year who is brilliant in that field. He's, he's been a CTO for more than 10 years. Gil uh, comes from Israel and has you know, an amazing computer science education 
Um, and, you know, he's basically the tech mind behind Mondu and is responsible also for, you know, launching this product in such a uh, short period of time and as well as uh, maintaining the pace going forward. If I may add to this, obviously, um, if you look at Mondu today, you know, Philip mentioned a few numbers from uh, from our previous company. Mondu today is around 50% or half of the Mondoneers that we have uh, today in the company are actually involved in product or technology. So uh, we are truly a tech company. And that obviously means also that as CEOs, you need to be not only to a certain extent knowledgeable about about the topic, but you also need to yeah, embrace it really um, and embrace the power of technology and see this really as a key business enabler for, for our future growth and, and really to um, embrace it as the key enabler for us to be um, succeeding and going after our ambition, uh, our ambitious goals and our mission every day. Yeah, this sounds like a great recipe to, to success when you have a CTO, which then balances the, the deep dive tech topics, whereas you're also very knowledgeable about this. So how does then the, the actual integration setup look like? I assume it's, it's mostly based on RESTful, RESTful design architecture, since it's a very um, platform business you're, you're, you're doing here. Anything which you would advise other founders in, in this area? Yeah, that's exactly right. So when we think about our customer value proposition to merchants, we have sort of three to four pillars. Yeah, I won't go into all of them, but one of these pillars is clearly that we want to be offering a very seamless and easy integration for the merchant customers. That means that we would like to enable them to integrate with us uh, as fast as possible and as sustainably as possible as well. And exactly as you mentioned, um, our merchants integrate with us via our RESTful API. Um, our product is built API first. Based on that API, obviously, we have certain plugins, uh, and those plugins serve customers especially that are building their web shops based on shop systems like Shopware, Magento, WooCommerce, etc. And that allows for quite an easy integration um, at all times. And this is really key because, you know, as we mentioned a few times now, we come from a B2C world. In B2B and in B2B sales, obviously, um, sales cycles are a little bit longer. And then once you've sold your product or once you've uh, convinced a merchant uh, to work with you uh, because because they like your service, like your product, your solution, then the actual work actually begins, right? Because you then uh, need to actually make it make it work and, uh, and 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 realize the go live, and that's why this element is so important. And the integration um, really follows uh, the user and order flow. Uh, this means that there are two API endpoints, basically, you know, in a simplified way. One at the order creation point in time, uh, and this is really the checkout um, in the web shop. And the other endpoint is at the invoice creation. Yeah? And that's, that's really it. Yeah? And um, you know, I think we can proudly say that the last merchant that we onboarded went live within a week. So the process seems to work quite well. Yeah, that really sounds fast indeed. Uh, so as you guys are fluent uh, in tech, I know to that down right now. Uh, let me shoot another question in that direction. Um, so what characterizes like next-gen payment or buy now, pay later service from a tech perspective? Well, I wouldn't go as far to say that we're fluent in tech. Um, that's probably more Gil. But I think we can comment a little bit what we think is are the core pillars of B2B buy now, pay later. And I think there are four. 
right? So the first thing, and we always come from a customer perspective. And for us, the main element of our value proposition is to create a consumerized payment experience. That means that everybody is used to having a very seamless checkout in the B2C world, whereas in the B2B world, that's not the case. And the need is the same. Ultimately, B2B marketplaces need to drive transactions, they need to drive sales, and they want to also acquire new customers. And the current uh, payment offering that is in place doesn't allow for that, and we're enabling exactly this. So but what's the implication of this on tech and on other capabilities that we need to create is that we need to have a very, very powerful decision-making engine. And we don't believe that we can just orchestrate payments uh, because what we need to make sure is that transactions go through and that we have a high conversion rate. This is the main point that attracts adoption. And uh, so there's a tremendous effort in the underwriting front. So um, on credit data integration, real-time checks, fraud detection, and approvals. And that is really um, also enforced by the very fierce competition um, that we have um, amongst players. Of course, we have to see how this evolves now, given the current fintech environment, but it will be a differentiating factor. The third thing I would say is that um, it needs to be customizable uh, and adaptable. Um, there is a significant difference between B2C and B2B in a sense that B2B customers work with a lot of ERP systems, uh, a variety of web checkout solutions, uh, and they have also very specific workflows in their own backends that require a lot of adjustments on our end. And we're building a product exactly like this, a product that adapts to the needs of our customers. And finally, uh, again, this is, a, this is a fintech product, and it's needless to say that anything that involves uh, payment and cash should convey a lot of trust and should have a lot of uh, security measures implemented. And so the bar is very, very high with regards to uh, data privacy and, sta and, and security standards uh, within Mondo. And apparently you are just demonstrating that trust <laughs> as you, you just gained another large funding. So let me ask, what are your plans with the additional cash that you got? I mean, $43 million, that's quite a lot. What's your growth ambition now? Well, I mean, we're still at the very beginning, right? So, of course, there's no point in talking about growth rates and, uh, and absolute targets because we come from, from zero last year to, to something that we believe can become a multi-billion dollar market. Um, as Malta pointed out, um, this market, we believe, by 2025 can be as big as $200 billion. Um, and we do not have plans to be only 0.1% of that, right, uh, by that time. So we want to have uh, a share of that market and we want to be a leader in, those, in that market. Um, with regards to the funding, I think the funding is a reflection, of course, of the expectations that people and the hopes that people are putting, of course, into the entire team, but in particular into that model. And I think there's a fundamental difference also between our model and many of the models that we see out there, which is we are probably in a more defensive um, industry. We are in B2B, which is less volatile, is also during potential economic downturns. And and I think that plays an important role. And this is still the ver very, very beginnings, I think. So, um, uh, and that's why I think we were able to also capture that kind of funding. And of course, what conveyed a lot of trust is the fact that we've been able 
uh, to attract a tremendous amount of talent in a very short period of time and also to execute our roadmap according to the original plans that we already had communicated to investors. And so what we want to do with this funding is we want to build a sustainable business. So we will not do, um, we come from a background, I think that's important to mention, uh, we, we worked in e-commerce, which, you know, maybe during the pandemic became en vogue again, but for many years was actually a sector that wasn't actually so fashionable. And we come from a geography also in LATAM, which for many years was going through a tremendous crisis. So uh, we know how to navigate in those times and to build a culture that focuses on delivering success and building also sustainable business. Um, and so we, of course, will invest still in uh, operations. So we will still continue to scale up our team um, and we will invest also in uh, customer acquisition. And one of the things that we also said before is that we will also invest in international expansion. Um, the next market we're going into is, is Austria. We believe um, it's important that we do this uh, because um, there is a core need already from all merchants here to have access to those kind of buyers. Uh, and on top of that, uh, it's a good testing ground for future expansion plans that we might have. So how will your tech platform support these ambitions um, maybe from a, a scalability aspect obviously but also like if you go into other countries does that have implications on your tech platform well uh, it does um, <laughs> for sure it does uh, and we are very much principles driven when we think about tech uh, and we've done that since day one and I would say We focus mainly on long-term growth and speed. We're not focusing on, you know, building something in a very, very poor way that we know we have to throw away in two years' time. Uh, that doesn't mean that we, of course, don't build MVPs and don't test and iterate. Um, but when it comes to international expansion, we do believe it's important to have uh, core elements that are the same across many geographies. Um, and we have that experience also from Latin. Uh, where we, you know, we build a business across in parts five geographies, and we know how important it is to raise synergies between the different countries. Uh, but you know, what is the the manifestation basically of our ambitions is basically again the, the principles, and I would say there are probably four that are most important. So we try to have a minimum amount of, of languages. So um, really focusing on frameworks that allow us to uh, deliver high velocity and speed. We achieve scale through orchestration layer and um, and also an event-driven architecture. We believe also um, in real-time data streaming and uh, machine learning. So um, it, this is especially important for fraud detection and credit risk analysis. And then finally, something that I already mentioned before, of course, security and availability. So uh, we're building this multi-site, PCI-compliant, ready infrastructure ready um, from day one. And now talking about the opposite of day one, um, if you had to bet on one technology for the next five years, which would it be? Well, uh, I mean, I cannot comment on technology trends in general. Um, I wouldn't be I the right expert for that. But I think a minute ago was quite techy, so <laughs> you don't need to hide. Yeah, no, I, I, I cannot. I don't think I'm, I'm suited for that, but I can try to give a glimpse into the technology we find most interesting, of course, for all purposes. Uh, and I mentioned before, I think it's definitely um, AI. Yeah? And as I mentioned before, we being able to take really good 
credit decisions will be key to our success going forward. So and in order to do this, uh, we need to have the ability to instantaneously um, uh, identify, to use uh, data identification and analysis with self-learning um, and improving algorithms that eventually create um, a completely different level of engine performance within the next months. Um, and I mean, to be honest, I think it's incredible just to think about the fact that, you know, as we probably record this uh, podcast, our engines are learning, right? Um, and it will help us. So what does it mean, right? So what are they learning? So how is this relevant? It is relevant because it will help us to combat most types of fraud with no human interaction, um, to create more diversification on customer profiles, and also match the right financial offering accordingly. It will suggest credit scores increases and decreases based on certain events and many other things. So I'm really excited to see what AI can do to our business in the next five years. That sounds great. What's or talking about the future? Um, what's the next big thing we'll hear about Mondu after you've been in the news for weeks now with your Series A founding? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. So um, I think we just announced our Series A funding round. Um, uh, so we're extremely humbled by the trust the investors put in us and especially in all Munduniers and our team to really execute on our vision. So we will be heads down and really busy building for a while now. Um, but I think soon uh, you will be hearing from us again, for sure. Looking forward to that. Thanks a lot for sharing your views, um, Marta and Philip, on the industry and, of course, your your exciting vision for Mondu. I'm really excited to hear more about you in the future and see how you tackle the B2B payments market. Thanks a lot for your time. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. It was a pleasure. Now back to you, dear fintech enthusiasts. Did you enjoy today's episode? Then make sure to hit the follow button and not miss the next episode. Bye. You've been listening to the Fintech and Digital Banking Podcast by BCG Platinian. BCG Platinian, your experts on IT strategy, modern technology architecture, and state-of-the-art banking. The digital future is now. For more information, check bcgplatinian.com. <laughs>